I find the discussion around advocacy and allyship to have an almost slightly insidious underbelly in that in an attempt to create space, you are changing the narrative to something that is detached from the issue at hand. It's more about your role as an ally than it is about the co-papa. Kia I'm Troy, here as CEO, and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today we are speaking with Mackenzie Horwood Verstappen, a student at the University of Auckland who is currently studying towards a Bachelor of Global Studies in Environmental Sustainability and Māori. We discuss how Toriwi can be advocates and hold space for Māori. Uh, so Mackenzie, we um, actually met at a University of Auckland student event that was focused on sustainability in um, engineering as a career, um, but we got chatting about Tia Māori um, and your specific interest in that area. Um, can you take us through a bit of your journey in identifying the need to be an advocate for Tia Māori and um making sure that um, Māori perspectives are being honoured? For sure. Um, so kia ora, ko Mackenzie tōku ingoa. I'm Mackenzie. I'm a student at Auckland Uni, as Troy has said. My sort of journey with te ao Māori, um, I think started as a y- at a young age. For a lot of people, my peers and my generation, um, we were learning kapahaka alongside basic facts, which is... I think something that is relatively new um, as far as history is concerned, but that gave me a base level understanding that Māori does have a place in New Zealand and Aotearoa, um, which, I mean, now sounds natural, but for a lot of people who weren't brought up in their formative years learning te reo, um, it can be a little hard to wrap your head around. So I think that really kick-started I suppose my path to advocacy, if you call it that, I'm still figuring out my own role um, as an advocate, if you'd call it that. But that was definitely the first memory I have. My mother also um, has spent a lot of time in New Zealand heritage, um, and obviously that is rooted in Māori artefacts and preservation of important cultural spaces. so there's always been a bit of discourse around Maori values and the differing worldviews at home. But I think when I came to university and chose to study a path called global studies, um, I realized that in order to be able to understand the world, I should first sort of look internally to what New Zealand has to offer in terms of its unique cultural perspective. And... I really wanted to sort of strengthen my own understanding of our heritage, um, especially with regards to the indigenous population, Tangata Whenua, who were here prior to European colonization. Um, Yeah, that has been the foundation of my advocacy. In the past few years, I've tried to start engaging with more student groups because that is 
my immediate environment. Um, and seeing what the contemporary issues are, whether it be more Māori representation and leadership, especially in university. I know that's a big and upcoming one, whether it be um, engaging with local Māori politicians. Um, there's quite a few back in my home town, Wellington, that I keep in like tabs on in terms of what their sort of kaupapa are. And I think that has been very informative for me in my own journey and understanding Te Ao Māori and my own role within it. Mm-hmm. And in terms of Te Ao Māori and Māori perspectives, um, why do you think it's important to hold space for those, particularly in relation to um, Te Ao, the environment, or um, in relation to STEM? Mm, for sure. Well, probably the most um, crucial or critical or relevant aspect of Te Ao Māori for me at the moment is Kaupapa Māori. So the sort of values, Te Ao Māori is a very values-based worldview. So people throw around terms like kaitiakitanga and rangatiratanga. Um, and those are, what leave the biggest imprint on me is like how we should walk in this world. Um, and probably those are the most differentiating things when you're thinking about Te Ao Pākehā because we find it very easy as um, Pākehā people, I think, to compartmentalise and apply values when convenient or when we deem relevant, whereas in Te Ao Māori it's much more holistic. You carry kaitiakitanga with you through the home environment, through society, through your business practice, through everything. Um, it truly is a worldview. And I think with relation to Te Taiao, um, Te Ao Māori has this relational view of nature and the physical environment as the other side of the coin to human life. It's not two discrete entities. They belong together and they inform one another and they create this harmony together. And I think that is something that there is such value to be derived from that we just don't get in the same way in Te Ao Pākehā. With regards to integrating or valuing Te Ao Māori, um, and particularly Mātauranga Māori within STEM, uh it's a very interesting and very topical discourse at the moment um last year at auckland of Un- the university of auckland um there was an article published which i'm sure everyone sort of has heard about uh with regards to whether mataranga maori has an equal or relevant place within um the scientific field and I think that was just one example of how the dominant scientific contemporary modern science paradigm just doesn't really value Mataranga Māori at the same level simply because it is conducted in a different way as it should be because it's from a different cultural background. But the value metrics which... um, empirical western science upholds just 
sort of contradict Maturanga Māori in a way that doesn't allow for the full value of um, Maturanga Māori to be appreciated, which I think is a contemporary challenge in STEM. And we are seeing different ways of integrating Maturanga Māori into science, but also carving a separate parallel path where um, Maturanga Māori doesn't have to adhere to these Western scientific constructs. And I think that is probably the relevant way forward without conflating Māori ideals and uh, Māori knowledge forms and forcing them into this box that is preset by Western scientific knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of Maturanga Māori and that different approach to um, the empirical scientific approach, um, the best example or best explanation that I've seen of that is in um, Y262, the Watangi Tribunal report, and really about the two very dramatically different ways that science and knowledge were applied to get um, basically from um, the ancestral um, locations of Pākehā and Māori respectively, um, you know, very scientific approach with sectants and, you know, um, advanced kind of um, navigational skills based on empirical studies versus advanced navigational skills um, based on knowledge of nature um, and navigation using stars and so on. Um, So much more integrated, you know, actually led by nature versus led by evidence and empirical backgrounds in in terms of the knowledge base. Um, And so I, and yet they both achieved the same outcome. You know, they both arrived on the shores of Aotearoa um, using very different approaches to solve the same problem. Um, Yeah, so I think it's really, when you're outside of Te Māori, it's really hard to understand and appreciate um, something that is so alien to the way that we're taught as scientists and engineers um, and, and enough to have an initial um, curiosity to engage with it. And we're really taught that anything that isn't, um, you know, a hypothesis that can be tested um, is really not scientific and yet there's a whole base of knowledge that may not adhere to those requirements um, and yet has solved a realm of problems over centuries. Um, So, yeah, I find that really interesting. In terms of um, holding space, how do you differentiate holding space um, from cultural appropriation? So... How is uh, Tangata Tisoriti, do you find, you know, what is your role um, to create that respect and inclusion of Maturonga Māori? I think it's uh, always context dependent, first and foremost, um, on who you are engaging with what material you're engaging with and what your current position is. Um, So as I said before, I'm still very much in the foundational stages of my journey um, in Te Ao Māori and if I am even able to have a relationship with Te Ao Māori in the same way, um, I'm still figuring that out. But 
In terms of holding space, um, I find the discussion around advocacy and allyship to have an almost slightly insidious underbelly in that in an attempt to create space, you are changing the narrative to something that is detached from the issue at hand. It's more about your role as an ally than it is about the kaupapa. And I think that is something I'm still struggling with um, in terms of my own role and where I sit. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to come here and discuss my own relationship to Te Ao Māori as Tauiwi, but I think there's definitely a fine line to be aware of. Um, I think also that one thing I have been like so lucky to learn with my education, at, um, particularly at University of Auckland, around the amazing Māori staff and whānau and school there is that as long as your heart is in the right place, then that's what matters in terms of holding space. It's about intention. Um, and if you have sort of solidified yourself as an ally in their eyes, then that is the most important thing. Uh, the discussion of appropriation comes, I think, often when you intersect with particularly like the corporate world. I mean, there's been new words thrown around the discussion of greenwashing. So corporations putting forward these socially responsible plans, but actually having not a lot to follow up with. The same with rainbow washing. Um, and I think there's, again, a danger to appropriate tikanga and reo in order to put forward... Um, a business plan that at the end of the day is for profit. Um, an interesting one as of late has been uh, the Miraka Krimi, Whitaker's Chocolate, um, putting out their rebrand of the Creamy Milk Bar for in celebration of Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori. And on the flip side of that, I personally believe that was done rather successfully as they engaged with local Māori stakeholders and put some of the profit back into the community where they got this idea from. So that is justified engagement, I think. And that is an example of, I wouldn't discuss, say that is holding space since it's for profit, but it is um, developing the discussion and the discourse around Maori representation in such a mainstream way. Um, and I think that that isn't necessarily appropriative. Uh, with my own role, how I see myself holding space um, is particularly in spheres where reo Māori and tikanga Māori don't necessarily have a place. Uh, a lot of my friend group is Pākehā, is not engaged with te ao Māori at all. They don't study it. They don't have whakapapa. They don't see themselves in this space. And I think with the blessing of the Māori community that I'm around as a student studying Māori, I see myself as an opportunity for a lot of the people who would not otherwise have exposure to this world. Um, I see this as an opportunity for them to hear reo more and understand that 
they shouldn't be scared of engaging with it because it is very much a part of the Aotearoa identity. And while it may not specifically pertain to them, that they don't need to shy away from the opportunity to bring it to the fore. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I like to have these discussions from multiple perspectives. And obviously, we've had discussions with Maori students as well. Um, but I, I feel like it. the more that Pākehā are able to um, include te reo Māori into, um, you know, business and mainstream daily life, um, or mainstream in inverted commas, um, mm-hmm then we enable it to be more comfortable for Māori to then also um, feel as though it's normal for them to be able to speak the language that may actually be their first language or it may even be a language that um, they've lost through their generations because of, um, you know, legislation that has been um, deliberately um created to reduce that link to te reo. So I think, yeah, I, I I kind of always am questioning myself around appropriation as well, um, but I feel like, you know, at least for uh, kupu, I think that we can incorporate more to make it, you know, actually a language that's revitalised and, and, and actually wasn't that long ago before it was almost extinct and... I was even reading a book recently around um, moko um, for wahini and that got um, down to I think it was only 80 women um, left in Aotearoa who had that and some of the traditional practices were lost as a result. Um, so that, you know, that traditional practice was almost extinct as well. So I feel like, yeah, we've all got a part to play in terms of um, – yeah, almost like endangered species. We've really got to protect and um, el- enable it to become gro- a growing medium um, versus one that's dying. Totally. Would I be able to chip in? The one thing I would say is that that I particularly, the main area of struggle is, yeah, knowing when to step down and to have the humility to sort of be guided. It's a very vulnerable position, <laughs> interestingly, as someone coming from a place where you hold all the privilege and all the authority to speak on such issues to suddenly not be able to. And that is something that I've personally struggled with because acknowledging privilege um, is not always comfortable. And even if you aren't personally responsible for um, historically enforced hardships, there is still this underlying feeling that because you benefit from the path of history then you need to be very careful where you tread Mm -hmm. yeah and it i think it's also very daunting it puts it's it's a daunting space to be in in which i think it does hold back some people because it's hard to know um what is the right way to manage things and i think part of the process is just being bold enough to do it to try, maybe get it wrong and learn learn from it. But I think that there are probably a lot of people who are kind of holding back, and and that's um, you know, I, it, it does require a little bit of bravery to um, 
put yourself forward because it is a very fine line and I am not sure at all most of the time whether I'm doing the right thing but I feel like I have to try to do something um, and at least I hope people will um, call me out if I'm getting something wrong but I feel like that's better than doing nothing so um, yeah I think that holds back people sometimes from like I I didn't even know what to call it but holding space um, is probably the best way that I um, relate to it. Um, In terms of specific challenges what have been your experiences like how does this go down when you you when you talk particularly I'm talking about um interactions with Pakeha how does it go down um and what are some things where you've I guess had some wins Hmm. I think it's interesting I have a lot of discussions with um, my close friends in so alongside global studies I study psychology which is a very broad field and as a sort of subset of that we learn not enough but we learn about Maori psychologies um other indigenous psychologies and ways of viewing the world and viewing oneself and one's family and because psychology is such a western developed paradigm there is not as much Maori matauranga and methodology in the way that is accepted and valued by the psychological paradigm so in discussions with my friends there's often a lot of frustration because when we're trying to learn these concepts it's not framed in a way that we have been taught is scientific and is of value uh the discussions are much more open-ended and differ in terms of the way we view ourselves and others the the multi conception of the self is defined by relation to other people the western view of the self is rather individualistic so there's all of these dichotomies that make it make barriers when we're trying to break down these psychological concepts and i think as we said before it's difficult when you don't know that they ought to engage with the discourse and then it's difficult again when there's these cultural barriers um and I don't know a whole lot about Te Ao Māori and my friends who know less, I can understand their frustration and empathise with the fact that they're trying to get an education about something where the field is very much still developing um, and being cut down by Western scientific expectations. So it's sort of this feedback loop where the science has held back this knowledge form and then because it is difficult to engage as a result less people feel inclined to engage with the discourse as a whole and that is really self uh sort of inflammatory in terms of breakthroughs i think the biggest like come out of that is maybe not so much in the scientific side but in the Um, willingness of my close circle to colloquially use reo I think that's probably the most tangible win for me because it feels as though people are becoming more comfortable with the um, graded increase in exposure that they get from classroom even having topics like this we discuss in class I think 
uh, the University of Auckland is it is the first foundational step, but they're introducing a um, screening test for all new students to um, see where their Māori knowledge is at. I believe it's either on knowledge or pronunciation. So I'm not sure if it's exactly the right step, but it's a step in the direction of at least more representation. Mm -hmm. So I think that's definitely a win for the structure of education, but it's just a matter of how swiftly that will come. Mm -hmm. Yes, in a previous um, podcast, Kim had mentioned that, you know, her idea of success would be that um, everyone uses um, basic Māori greeting, for example, just everyone's using kia ora. And that, and at the time I reflected and I thought, oh, Kim, like, you know, aim higher. But I do recall um, maybe probably not that long ago, probably just four years ago, when I was starting to use just kia ora as my greeting instead of hi or morning or whatever, um, I felt exposed. I don't know. I felt like people were watching me and, you know, I don't know. I felt um, uncomfortable, I guess. And it seems silly now just looking back. That seems really ridiculous. But I think that's kind of the process is to continually put yourself out of the comfort zone so that there's progression made over time. And I do think we have to be willing to accept that because we are coming from a position of privilege and ignorance, really, um, that we're going to have to be corrected, that the journey doesn't stop when we make a mistake. It has to keep going when we're learning from those mistakes. Um, and I really, um, I really like, I, I really like the idea that, um, you know, over time and over generations, and I can see it with my son, he's got beautiful pronunciation and I can't get rid of some of my poor pronunciation, for example, Onihanga is one that I continually mispronounce because I first learnt it as Onihanga um, without the um, correct pronunciation and it just kind of sticks in my brain the first way that I ever said it. Um, but, you know, I think that I'm hopeful that next generations will, um, you know, bring the language at least back and with the language that being such an important part of the culture that that will actually help people to engage more with the broader concepts you know it's such a beautiful metaphorical language and i feel like our training especially stem trained people there's a real conflict there like what you were saying what i said earlier around you are trained it, it especially in science, you're you're basically trained to um, form an argument and then um, test it from all angles um, until it's basically um, either proven or disproven. And so I, I have actually been reflecting on this because I have self-identified myself proudly as a scientist. Like, you know, that's my overwhelming identity factor is that I'm almost fiercely pragmatic if I can see evidence I will make a decision and it doesn't matter what that decision is you know in terms of much more action oriented than people oriented um, and over time I've been questioning how, how I've almost been <laughs> testing that hypothesis around is that really the way to um, describe phenomena and and look at um, you know things that are happening in the world 
And that actually, even if I try to um, apply my understanding of Te Ao Māori, I actually think I've been, that process of being um, an objective pragmatist and really quite um, comfortable in um, challenging data, which is often delivered by people, um, I have been, you know, challenging people's mana and, you know, I can just see like the scientific approach, which, you know, scientists are very comfortable having those arguments. It doesn't fit so well in a Te Māori perspective. It doesn't mean that they're completely juxtaposed and um, not able to coexist. There's an interface there where, you know, that scientific approach perhaps needs to soften a bit and be a bit more curious and open-minded. Um, and that may mean that actually there's something we can learn from Te Māori and Mataronga Māori that is going to benefit, that we have been completely closed off because it doesn't fit in the paradigm of what a scientist sees or how we test for phenomena. Um, so I'm really, really intrigued and excited, you know, about those kinds of com conversations. Where do you think the future lies? Um what is it that you, your generation and, and you, you know younger generations are thinking, believing, demanding, and and wanting? What do you think is going to change? Mm. I mean, there's already been a lot of discussion around familiarity and comfortability with Rio and with Tikanga, um, especially in formative years and primary school through high school. Um, It'll be interesting seeing my generation grow up. It always feels when you're young that your generation is going to be the one to change things. So being able to look back and see where the grown-up generation is, where currently there feels to be the most conservatism and pushback against Te Ao Māori introduction and co-governance and coexistence, I wonder whether that really will change or if there will still be a big subset of the population who has now come into this new conservatism. So I think I'm hopeful that while the progress is can feel glacial, um, that it will have changed by the time I am 40 by the time I'm 50 by the time I have kids if I have kids uh to somewhere where te reo maori isn't reserved for just the most confident people in the room that even those who feel it is completely outside of their personal identity they can still engage with it uh in terms of outcomes it's difficult to see the direct link but i would love to see improvement in multi health outcomes uh i don't know a lot of the stats but it's quite sort of flattening to hear just how many knock-on effects systemic inequities continue to have to this day um, 
processes of gentrification shifting uh those in poverty uh shifting those to places of poverty and then shifting those places further away from resources um where you can grow your health and wealth um are still not fixtures of the past still ongoing you see greater levels of like gambling incentive being targeted to populations with lower educational background and lower socioeconomic status that surprise correlates to those who have been systemically uh oppressed for hundreds of years so i think more affirmative action for um maori healthcare and being able to provide services that are culturally competent and culturally sensitive to the those they are serving um is something i'm really excited to see and it's a very scary time for our nation it could be scary i'll rephrase that it could be a very scary time of change because we see much more self-determination in the Maori population um that they don't just want to be delivered these services that fit the average New Zealander because what has the average New Zealander been represented as for the past 100 years so tailoring our services to benefit those in who have been historically marginalized and to develop systems alongside uh community leaders whether they be kaumatua or whether they be elders or whether they be local councillors um just having an open discussion about where services need to go in order to get the most benefit um is something i'm really excited to see because yeah it's been poor representation historically mhm Now just to end off the discussion um wanted to circle back to where we started which was um where we first met in terms of um uh sustainability and engineering um tell us a bit more about the SFC Cool so the SFC stands for the Sustainable Future Collective so we are a University of Auckland club um made up of a couple hundred members although the executive is smaller of which i am a part uh i think the sfc was uh grown out of a small student group about 6 years ago who wanted more sustainability representation on campus because there was not a lot there were engineering societies there was debating societies law societies but there was little representation when it came to sustainability issues I think the most obvious connection between SFC and the Almori is in our understanding of nature and the relationship humans share with it. It's not so much a resource to be capitalized off of uh or developed or extracted from, but it is a living thing that we should honor and treat as such. and i think that in that way fundamentally sfc is not that dissimilar from 
or shares a lot of similarities with this uh, kaupapa around sustainability. In terms of, in recent years rather, uh, we've identified that as a group that has stemmed out of honestly a pretty Western perception of sustainability, there has been little direct engagement with Māori tauira, Māori students and Māori clubs. Um, and we've identified this as definitely a room for improvement, whether it be collaborating with Māori ropu on campus, uh, such as Ngā Tauira Māori at UOA, or creating events where we um, offer students opportunities to engage with uh, contexts that integrate both sustainability and Māori, whether that be protect pūtiki, um, the occupation over on Waiheke Island looking to conserve nature and uphold the mana whenua's ideals for their own land. Stuff like that is the next critical turning point for SFC, which has primarily been focused around things like composting, which aren't always embedded in Te Ao Māori in the same way in terms of how we um, conceive these sustainability issues. So I think definitely room for growth in terms of our engagement directly with our um, Māori community at UOA. But I think and I hope that there is room to grow for our club, especially as Māori becomes, te reo Māori and tikanga, become more integrated into the university as a structure itself. And I'm excited to see where it leads in five, ten years, and I hope that it comes fast in terms of change. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Mackenzie today. If you'd like to connect more with him, you'll find his details in the show notes. For me, it's been inspiring to see how brave Tawirak are being in leading change to make Aotearoa a more culturally safe environment in a genuine and appropriate way. Kua raranga tahi tato mo apopo. Together we weave the mat for future generations. Food for thought till we see you next time. So hit subscribe and if you liked what you heard today, please like, review or share with any middleheads you know. Let's spread the word. At HERA, we are committed to meeting our obligations under Titiriti or Watangi and also to raise the mana of Mataronga Māori, Tikanga Māori and Te Reo Māori within our workplace. To find out more about our mahi in this space, you can find links in the show notes. Thank you.